What's happening, CMU sports fans? Welcome back to Maroon and Bold, your home for everything Chippewa sports. I'm your host and CM Life Sports Editor, Sean Chase, here for Episode 3. This week, we'll dive into CMU football, soccer, and volleyball's foray into MAC play, field hockey's offensive improvements, as well as men's and women's club hockey. There's a lot to discuss, so let's jump right in. And now we welcome on CM Life football beat reporter, Ryan Calores. How's it going, Ryan? Uh, not too bad. I mean, it's been better, but we keep pushing. Well, times have been better for CMU football. There is no doubt about that. Currently, the team is 1-4 and four and 0-1. It's been a couple weeks since we've been on the podcast. Since then, the team has lost 33-14 to 14 to Penn State on the road in Happy Valley. And then on October 1st, Saturday, they went into Toledo on homecoming and came out with another loss. What are your thoughts on how that game played out, Ryan? For starters, it was it was the f- my first ever game covering, uh, you know, in a, like at an away stadium. So that was pretty cool. As far as the game goes, I think the biggest thing you can really take is the realization that CMU still has not put together two consecutive like good halves. Every single game, there's been a half where where it's been good, and then another half where it's not been so good. Usually, the the one that um, is not so good is the first half, and Sure enough, that was the case this weekend. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned it because I was going to breeze right past it. We were in Toledo. I was on the field as Toledo started mollywhopping us in the first half. And you mentioned it has been a tale of two halves. I don't feel like the Toledo game there was even a positive half, truly. like They both were pretty poor. The second half you could say was positive because of what the defense did, which we'll get into in a second. But the big problem that I'm seeing right now is this defense can't stop the run at all. Daquan Finn ran wild in the second half, finished with 186 passing yards and two touchdowns and 84 rushing yards. Jacquez Stewart, who I didn't even realize was going dumb like this, had 122 yards on the ground. What's it going to take to turn this around, Ryan? Yeah, I mean, I think we're seeing, like, as we uh, move forward, we're seeing that uh, this team just has so much trouble with mobile quarterbacks. You know, like week one, they had, you know, against Oklahoma State and, uh, and Sanders, I mean, he he tore him up on the quarterback, you know, designed runs, uh, scrambles, whatever it was. And and then we saw – and we knew that Daquan Finn had that ability, Toledo's quarterback, but um, – I thought he sucked. I was wrong. <laughs> but, but yeah, we uh, – it, it was – CMU had a lot of trouble with that. They had trouble containing – like, they let him go outside a bunch and um, – and for the entire first half, I mean, it was the same case with all the running backs. You know what I mean? It no, was no doubt. Second half, too, to be honest. Um, I think, actually, they got more yards in the second half on the ground. But, yeah, I mean, what was it, 261 rushing yards that they gave up? I, you just – I mean, you can't expect to win in MAC play if you're, if you're giving that up. Coming into the season, we thought the defensive problem was going to be the secondary. The secondary seems to be locked down right now. Nobody's trying Dante Ken at all. You notice that in games, it's like, dang, he is not really getting a lot of run. That's a symbol of who he truly is as a corner. He's the lockdown. As we said before, I see him in the NFL. His brother, Ronald Kent, has started showing out. Finished with 10 tackles. Trey Jones had 10 tackles. And they bring another edge to this team. But what can we do to stop the run? I think Moretti struggles to get out of the wash sometimes. When they played Apsy, they've done better when it's more of like a three-linebacker scheme. Like you said, there's no winning in the MAC. When you hold the quarterback to under 200 yards and you get beat, there's a problem there. And as we were leaving the stadium, the radio hosts and all of them kept saying, and Jason Candle, the head coach for Toledo, said it was a battle of who wanted it more and who was going to punch each other in the mouth harder. I didn't feel like we were really getting punched in the mouth like that. It just was things happened, fumbles happened, and now they're in the red zone starting their drive on the seven. You know what I'm saying? Like The fumbles from D. Rich, and I've seen a lot of D. Rich needs to get benched. Do you think that that's too early, or do you think that what we're seeing now, because after Oklahoma State, I was talking about putting him in the Heisman vote. I'm not saying that anymore. I, I wouldn't go as far as to say he needs to be benched now. Um, I think I think that's still slightly, you know, kind of like a knee-jerk reaction. I agree. And we've seen him, you know, he's had good moments. He's had good halves, like we talked about. But there are times where, like, like in that first half, I, it really was in the back of my mind. I was like, you know, is this coaching staff even going to, you know, are they going to consider maybe bringing somebody else in? Um, but, yeah, I, I don't think it's quite early enough yet. I mean, look, Toledo's a good squad, and, and we, we may have overlooked them. How do you overlook them coming off of the loss that we took at Penn State where 
everybody felt like the game got robbed from them. You know what I'm saying? That's my whole mindset. This should have been a, we're going to come and punch you in the face off the rip. It didn't seem like we were getting that at all. Maybe it does take uh, a change at quarterback, but but I still really believe in Daniel Richardson's leadership ability above all. Even if you know, even if some of the throws aren't being made like uh, like we're used to seeing him, even if um, you know, I, I just I think he's still really able to rally this team, and he's able like he's able to command a, a huddle, and and so it's you know it's one of those things where if he doesn't get back on track, then sure maybe you do start thinking about that, but but I think it could really really throw. Um, this offense into a funk that's, you know, an offense that's already kind of in a funk. Like, you don't really want to – you don't want to mess with that right now. But, you know, there – I mean, with some of the upcoming games, those are going to be uh, fantastic measuring sticks to see where CMU really stacks up in the MAC. And and if he's still struggling in those games, then, then yes, I do think you at least entertain the idea of making a change. No, I agree. I don't I don't think you pull him right now. I think it'd be too early. I like the point you mentioned. This offense is in flux a little bit. It seems like it's having some growing pains. You take D. Rich out, and I feel like any of the momentum you've built with that wide receiver room, who's all brand new, with this offensive line, who's partially brand new, is out the window. The only thing that you can look at from D. Rich and say, yeah, he – well, there's two things. He threw 21 incomplete passes on the day, but he was sacked four times. The pressure was in his face the whole day. He never really had a clean pocket to throw out of. You got to give this man some time. The offensive line, I think, is the true problem. Because when you look deeper into it, and you talked about this Saturday on the way back, Lou Nichols finished the game with 1.8 yards per carry. That's not the Lou Nichols we know. 32 rushing yards on 18 attempts. That says more about what's going on with the offensive line than anything in my mind. Yeah, yeah, no. The uh, the offensive line, I mean, we've... We've discussed this, um, seems like pretty much every week, but it's just that youth that's out there on those tackles. Like, you know, you're, you're going from two NFL guys to two, like, you know, a redshirt freshman and a sophomore. Two 19 year old people. Yeah. And it's, and look, that's just going to happen. It's, it kind of sucks. And, uh, I, I, I don't want to make it sound like they've been horrible. You know, they've, they've showed some things and they've had moments. But, I, I mean, that's just the kind of effect that it has, having to replace, uh, you know, Bernard Raymond, Luke Gadecki, and and replacing them with two guys who really haven't, you know, haven't had much meaningful playing time before this year. No, that's a good point. This is truly their first real playing time in college. But we're also seeing that they're holding up at times in the passing game. Carlos Carrier finished with seven receptions. Kanishek led the team in receiving yards with 71 and three catches. The offense at times clicks. I just... Every time I think about it, I don't know what it's going to take. My, The biggest thing that I'm trying to find out at this point is are they seeing something different with Lou Nichols back there compared to Miles Bailey and Marion Lukes? Because you mentioned this. Miles Bailey's average is crazy right now. Every time he touches the ball, it seems like he's going for 10. This is a crazy question after he was the leading rusher in the nation, but is there any thought to take Lou Nichols out of the backfield? I think with that one, um, the whole rotation is a little bit easier to alter than it is with a quarterback. So, so I think what you could do is you could kind of, if you're looking to make a change, you can start phasing him out a little bit and you can turn to like a committee approach, you know, yeah. kind of give some, some equal, um, we talked about like the different things that each of them brings, you know, use the, these running backs a little bit more situationally. Whereas Lou Nichols might be more of like an early down guy, you know, or a goal line back. Yeah. Um, because I mean, like you said, it's it's hard to take out a guy who led the FBS in rushing yards last year. Might cost you your job if you do it type stuff. That's a it's a crazy even thing to ponder, but something's got to happen. Right. And I mean it's right now they're looking to be competitive and if you don't if you're not turning out competitive snaps um with that guy, then you do have to look to make a change. Yeah. Um and I think Lou Nichols I don't know. I think that he still holds value, but I just think it it almost seems like there's a little bit, I don't want to say distrust, but a little skittishness maybe running behind this line because it's just, you know, I don't want to put any any words in anybody's mouth, but it's just it's just a different level of trust and expectation from from what the line would be or was last year. No, I agree, and my thought is pulling him is going to cost some money, but we're co- he's losing money and position in the NFL draft by these performances. 
and we're not doing him any favors by running him out there and giving him the majority of the carries to beat himself up on one-yard runs. You know what I'm saying? Now, the other thing I'm seeing, and I wonder about this too, is Lou used to pull away from people on the outside. He's not really pulling away from anybody anymore. And on the first contact, he's not really laying anybody down anymore. But I think that all comes back to the confidence of that offensive line. He says he's trusted him the last time we asked him many weeks ago. I'd be interested to talk to him now and see what his mindset is with where this all stands. Because McElwain mentioned it, and it's crazy to think about money with college kids, but Lou missed out on a lot of money by not going to Alabama or an SEC school, a Big Ten school, one of these schools where he would have won, been the number one back. He'd have been behind an offensive line he would have experienced in the NFL or more similar, closer to what he had last year. And you got to assume he eats them up too because my question to you, I guess, is do you think the Mac has figured out Lou Nichols? In the context of CMU's current offense, uh, yeah. I think that's kind of what it is. I think, you know, on tape you see um, you see him not being able to get downhill like he did last year. Um, contact is so much closer to the line than it was uh, last year. You know, there's not that that push. And uh, and I don't know. I just I think that kind of just there's like a snowball effect there where the more times, you know, he is getting hit like before he reaches the line of scrimmage or right when he reaches the line of scrimmage. Um, I, I just think it's there's almost an effect of like, you know, he's bracing for that. He's ready for that. And and that and I think that's the big difference between the way he's running right now and a guy like Miles Bailey because I mean Miles Bailey is fearless when he when he runs through and when he hits a hole and you know sometimes he's just leaving defenders in the dust because that's that's how hard he kind of comes out of that and you know takes that hand off and so you know I don't I don't know I think to answer your question yeah a little bit I think they've there have been things figured out against Lou Nichols that just they, they weren't able to figure out last year or or it wasn't able to be defended as easily last year true and I do think I think that the last part what you said it wasn't as easy to defend it because of those tackles that they had that were just mauling you Bernard Raymond and Gadecki are not small men you know when they get their hands on you and Raymond was much older than a normal college student because of his time in Austria as army like there's some grown dudes out there that are pushing for Lou, and I don't. I don't want this to come off as any disrespect to Lou. He's still an incredible running back. I still want him to eat the whole Mac up. All my predictions, I still stand on that Lou's gonna eat. You know what I mean? I'm. I gotta eat my words a little bit right now because the uh, the predictions are nowhere near correct at this point. I had him three and two, and we are one and four and zero and one in the Mac. But there's a chance to turn it around. It's homecoming this weekend. Ball State comes into town. Do you think this defense turns it around against Ball State and even the whole team? Do you think we see a full, complete game from CMU? To be honest, I don't know if I have an answer for that. I mean, I, I want to say yes, but but I mean, even against Bucknell, you know, an FCS opponent, they didn't have a good first half. They only scored seven points in the first half. Yeah. It's like, until you really see this offense do it, I don't know if I can believe that it's it, it's really going to come out fast. And, and you know, I... I would love to see it, and I want to see if Daniel Richardson can kind of, you know, rally his troops and be like, all right, guys, like, obviously what we've done so far isn't working. Like, let's make this change or this change or that change. So this way, like, you know, you can really punch that opponent in the mouth, kind of like <laughs> like how we were saying earlier. Um, you know, you knock them back a little bit, and that way the the opposing defense is on their heels. They're not, like, they're not going at you, and they're not, like, kind of swallowing everything up that they expect you to run at them because that opens up everything if you're able to get things moving that opens up the pass game it opens up the running game and and that is also kind of like a snowball effect where you know it's the more you're able to do the more it'll open up because I mean I mean that's just the way the game of football works you know what I mean we talk about D Rich sparking a comeback it wasn't D Rich this time it was the special teams unit who sparked a comeback against Toledo blocking two punts you were in the booth when this happened I was on the field. I only could experience the crowd's reaction. What happened on those two block punts? I, honestly, I was kind of trying to figure that out too. Um, I, I mean, Toledo's punter. It it really seemed like he was kind of like, 
it seemed to me like he was holding the ball unnecessarily long. I mean, I don't, you know, I've never been a punter. I, I can't pretend like I know, <laughs> I know what goes into like playing that position at a high level. But from, from my vantage point, it really looked like, I don't know if there was some uncertainty, if he maybe had mishandled a snap, but it, it didn't even seem like that. So I really don't know what happened, but, but I guess the, the big thing, the main is that CMU capitalized on that, you know, like, Sure, he may have made it a little bit easier, but when that happens, you do have to capitalize on that, and they did, and and that was that was really where they kind of, uh, you know, that's really where they found that momentum to kind of make a late rally. Um, it obviously they came up short, and and the defense still like they were doing better, but it was still sacrificing too much. But but yeah, those special teams, I was just kind of. It seemed like it was just an injection of of confidence and and you know momentum that they didn't have prior to any of those during the game. No, and I agree. Uh, being on the sidelines, I I like I said, I didn't see it because I was trying to get in position to get the the return. But the energy that came over the sideline and the way that it turned their whole mentality, it felt like that's very hard to understate. You know what I'm saying? It it felt like they were kind of letting this team beat them down a little bit. As soon as that first block punt happened, it was like, yo, we're in this fight. You know what I mean? It, complete 180, and I like to see that. Do you think that the energy that the homecoming crowd is going to bring undoubtedly to Kelly Shorts is going to help in any way seem you get back in the win column? I think so, yeah. I think that um, – I think you really just kind of have to feed off of that energy. And, it, I mean, it's homecoming. You know, it's it's going to be – it's going to be a full house probably – um, I mean, we'll see how long the student section stays, but, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, if it's a good game, I, I have to imagine that the energy is going to be there. Um, and I think, I think CMU knows what position it's in right now. You know, I think the team knows that it's, it's really got to get some momentum, be able to find like, you know, create some momentum without having to use the, the home crowd. I think the home crowd will do nothing but help. But, but you know, I think they realize that, um, you know, it's – I don't want to say it's do or die time because it's still early in the season, but – It's getting close to do or die time. But if you stack a few MAC losses, then it's like, you know, you got to be perfect the rest of the way. And I know that that's – I mean, with the way this team is kind of built right now, I don't think they're – like, if they take a few MAC losses, I, I don't know how they um, really – you know, get back to and and be able to rattle off a bunch of wins, um, unless that comes with like a change at quarterback. But but you know that's that's a bridge that will just be crossed if if it has to be. No, and I agree. I think if they get a couple of Mac losses, they start piling up. D. Rich is gonna be out of a job. That's just my thought at this point because McElwain's not somebody who's just gonna keep doing the same thing over and over if it's not working. Now, I do think this home crowd is going to bring another level to this team because I feel like there's been a couple times this season where they've been in these environments where they've been able to fight back, but these big crowds that aren't favoring them has been hard for them to battle back against. Oklahoma State, they did it exceptionally well. Penn State, those the penalties happen, and then the drives die. You know what I'm saying? And we really didn't see much of a fight at the back end of that. Toledo, it seemed like right from the jump, it was a 3-3 game, and all of a sudden – it's out of hand, you know what I mean? And it was very hard to rally until the defense comes up with miracle plays in my mind. Like, there's no way you saw block punts coming in that situation. And if you bet on that, give me some lottery numbers, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, you're obviously a genius. But we'll go to my favorite part of all this is predictions. I think CMU takes that momentum that they're going to get from this, well, the energy they'll get from this crowd and runs the score up. It's going to be 52-14 in my mind. And I might be crazy. I think Lou goes for 150-plus and two touchdowns. And I think we see a resurgence of him because I think he's hearing the same boo birds that everybody else is hearing. It's very hard to not see it on the internet at this point. Yeah, I I mean, I agree. Ball State's quarterback uh, from last year, Drew Plitt, he's gone. Um, they're kind of in the midst of, of trying to build back up a program fairly similar. But yeah, I think, I think CMU really kind of realizes um, – the situation it's in and, and really responds to it because I think that they still have they have the leadership at the top and they have within the locker room I think they do have the kind of leadership to where they can turn this around and they it has to be um, but yeah I have uh, 
I have CMU winning the game 31-21. Um, Lou Nichols comes back in, has um, you know, hits triple digits in the in the rushing yard column for only the second time this year. Yeah, but just crazy to say. But yeah, I think so, and and I think uh, yeah, I really think that um, that they know where <laughs> what's going on right now, where they're at, and and what they have to do to really get this back on track. I hope that I'm right and you're wrong because I don't want another tight game. Your prediction makes me feel like it's going to be very tight. And I would like to see CMU come out of the locker room right from the jump, like they got jet fuel in their in their body. You know what I'm saying? Like I want to see some intensity, and I feel like the defense is sick of getting burned. Ronald and Dante Ken are too much of a vocal leader for this not to just be a blowout in CMU's favor. I feel like we're gonna see Ronald can't get a pick after being mad at himself against Toledo for dropping one. We might see Dante get one if anybody ever challenges him. Nobody will throw it over there, which I don't blame them for that. But the one thing I will say is if they want to get to a bowl game, if the dreams of winning the MAC are still there, it's going to start right now. If it doesn't start now, you might as well start throwing dreams away. You know what I'm saying? Because like we said, you pile a couple of MAC losses up, you got to win six to even get into the bowl conversation. Like some things are going to have to happen right now. So, yeah, I'm with you. I, um, and I mean, I I don't want to look too far ahead. Obviously, the te- you know take things week by week, but then uh, you know uh, momentum would help a lot right now. They have Akron the following week, which Akron just doesn't look very strong right now. Um, so so I think this is the time where they really can build some momentum, and this is kind of the last opportunity before it's like you know panic time. Well, panic time's already setting in for Sean a little bit. <laughs> But we'll see how it goes. Thank you for joining me, Ryan. Yeah, thanks for having me. And now we welcome on CM Life Soccer beat reporter Ashley Berkness. How's it going, Ashley? It's good. Well, I'm glad it's going good for you because it's not going good for CMU soccer right now. No, it's not. They have had better times over there. They're currently 1-8-2 and 0-3-1 and and in the MEC. They tied EMU 1-1 on September 22nd. That was the last time they've even sniffed a win. They lost to Miami, Ohio, 3-0 on September 22nd, 2-0 to Bowling Green on Thursday, and then 2-0 to NIU on Sunday. What are the main takeaways for Groves after this weekend? They played well. They played just like the other day again uh, last Thursday. They also played well in that game. And I think the main thing just this past Sunday was they're back on like low numbers with injuries. So I think that has they've kindly we're finally getting into that groove of like playing hard, working together, and now they're back to those low numbers. They had like three people on the bench against NIU. You're not gonna win with that many players back there. Yeah, so that was I think tough for them. And this has seemed to be a problem all year. Is it something that the coach needs to recruit more players, or are there just that many people going down right now? I think it's just that many people going down. I think it's just bad luck. I. Because, like, they have girls that have the numbers, but it's just those injuries, cause especially, especially with, like, soccer injuries, like, they're not going to be mild. They're going to they're gonna be pretty heavy injuries, too. Yeah, and I, I kind of downplayed soccer until I went and covered one last right? week, and a girl got kicked in the face by the ball and just shook it off, and I was <laughs> like, you are better than me. I'd be calling for the sub right now. I'd be red card or kick her out of the yeah. game. Like... <laughs> Who's been standing out recently? I know Shingler's young in the goal. She's not looked horrible. It's not right. been any blowouts. But. Yeah. Um, Matilda Mello, she, just like the other day, she, against NIU, she was the only person who had three shots, three on goal. She she kind of led the way um, on Sunday against NIU, and Coach brought that up, too. He was, like, he was very proud of her. She's always been stepping up in these games, especially, like, with those numbers being low and like the younger teammates or whatever and she did very well on Sunday and I think she definitely got down on herself you could kind of tell after the game as well uh that she was very uh disappointed in herself that means she cares and I think that's important right yeah one positive thing that has happened for this team Lauren Walker scored her first career goal against Eastern Michigan after I talked to Groves he was very excited about it but yeah 
the max schedule is winding down. The season ends at the end of October. Do you think that they're going to let that get to him, or do you think they're going to continue to play hard throughout this? I think there's definitely that possibility of it getting to them, but I think they kind of have to have that mindset of, like, now it's time to better ourselves. The MAC tournament, let's keep that on the back burner. Like, now let's focus on ourselves. Let's work hard. Let's get better. And I think kind of have that mentality of, like, next year or just working to improve, like, one one another. I agree with that. I think that it's going to be very important for them to keep that mentality because if this team doesn't win another game the rest of the way, which please don't let that be how it goes, but I think you'll see a lot of players leave the program just because a one-win season is very hard to right. be like, yo, I'm happy. Yeah. Where do you think the win comes at? Do you think it's this weekend when they play against Western Michigan and Kalamazoo on Thursday? Then they welcome Toledo on Sunday at 1 p.m. Do you think either one of those are going to be the turnaround game? I think Toledo might be the turnaround game, especially with it being at home. I think they kind of tend to play very well at home. I agree. And I think Toledo is kind of like that even more even match team compared to Western. But uh, I think, yeah, I think Toledo, they're going to come out on top against that game. I don't know who it's going to be, to be honest with you. I, have, I feel like it's just going to be a, a luck scenario yes. where they pull this off. But – they're set. They're almost last in the MAC. We'll say it like that. Do you think there's a shot of making the MAC tournament? Do you think they go on some crazy run here and you end up writing a MAC tournament championship story? <laughs> I think. Well, I guess if you would have asked me maybe last week when they had gotten all their injured players back, I could say yeah, possibly. But now with seeing only having three people on the bench, I I don't think so. I mean, I'd love to be optimistic and hopeful for this team. Because they do work very hard, but I don't think that is going to be in their future. Well, I'm still keeping the faith. I I think you're going to be writing a MAC championship story at the end of this. I'd love to. And if it does, the stories coming up to that are going to be fire, <laughs> too. It's going to be a long win streak. Right. The last time this team scored a goal was against Eastern Michigan. Do you think that, because you're not very high on the possibility of a win this weekend, do you think they break the scoreless streak of three games? Yes, I think they do. At least we got a little optimism yes. out there. Yes. <laughs> That's all I want. I'm normally an optimistic person. So yes, I think I think they they will score against Western, especially with it being Western. I mean, it's the rivals. I think they're going to come out with some force and some energy that you haven't seen in a while. I'm hoping because it's Western we beat them. I do not want to hear from Western people that oh, we beat you in soccer, we're beating you over here. I want Western to lose in everything. So please God help us. Me out. too. Please just give us a little luck in the soccer field. Thank you for joining, Ashley. And now, a word from our sponsor. Green Tree Co-op Market is ready for fall. Their new location is just one mile from CMU's campus and open from 7 a.m. to 9 p.m. daily, offering more fresh, delicious local options than ever before, including a bakery and a daily hot bar. This location also has indoor and outdoor seating, larger produce and meat departments, and a student discount every Friday. Stop by any time for fresh coffee, quick snacks, easy meals, hair and skin care, savory soups, and all the fall essentials. Green Tree, now at 410 West Broadway, Mount Pleasant. Visit greentree.coop for more information. And now we welcome on CM Life Volleyball Beat Reporters, Kaya Zimmerman and Megan Youngblood. How's it going, Kaya? Good. How are you, Megan? Doing good. Happy to be here. Well, it's been a while since we've been here to talk about CMU Volleyball. So we're going to go back a couple weeks to the Ball State match that began MAC play. As your boy predicted, they shocked the world, beat Ball State twice, 3-1 and 3-2. I said they would lose one of those matches. I was wrong on that. During the matches against Ball State, Claire Amaral had a triple-double, Kaya. What was that like to see that happen in person? I mean, she's insane. And if she does not get freshman of the year, I'm going to be uh, I'm gonna be very confused. She got max setter of the week, and she just put up insane numbers against the in, in those two games. In the two games, she put up 83 assists, 18 kills, and 23 digs. I, I've never seen a setter like her. I've seen setters who will set it over the net, try to get them caught off guard, but the thing she does is she gets up, and instead of she looks like she's going into a set, and then at last minute she goes and she kills the ball. I've never seen someone with that height. She's, one, she's over six foot. Never seen a setter that tall. She's never with that offensive power that she has. She adds so much to this team, and it was such a pleasure to be able to watch her in person for the first time. Although she did something historic 
over the weekend. Who else stood out to you against Ball State? I think uh, the MAC Defensive Player of the Week, Maddie Whitfield, as well. She had 12 blocks and 16 kills. Ellie Medendorp, uh, she led the team in the game one uh, with 14 kills. It's a career high. She hit a 520 hitting percentage, which is insane. She was the biggest standout because we haven't really seen her go off yet this season. And to go off in your home opener of the season, I think, was great. She, her and Claire together really worked well. And even Coach Golick said that them working together, being next to each other uh, in the rotation was such a positive for them, and it helped them a lot. I'm going to go back a little bit because you mentioned Maddie Whitfield. After coming back from her injury, I'm very happy to see her have success. It's She was in a couple of my classes last year, and you see her walking around in this boot, and it's like, damn, you know she wants to be out there. So to see her locking down the middle for CMU is incredible. The team then switched to playing Toledo this weekend. They split the weekend with them. They lost 3-1 in the first one and won the second one 3-1. You covered the first one, Megan. What did you see from the team in that loss? I just think they were off their game. You know, they – I don't know if they weren't just expecting Toledo to come out hot like that because, I mean, they were killing it in their first um, match. But like Golic said, they were playing very uncentral like volleyball, which I think was a great quote from him. And it really showed that they were – that they weren't as on their game as usual. They didn't complete the comebacks that they had because they almost came back in every single match. But they just couldn't keep Toledo from – being on fire no and when I, I watched it a little bit I caught bits and pieces and I saw that they were fighting back and that's a good sign though even though they lost they never quit they never quit and that turned to be a positive for them on the second night when they smoked Toledo what did you see from the team the second night Kyle they were a completely different team from night one to night two I think you know uh, I say this in my story they had 32 errors and a season low hitting percentage of 107 in the first night second night they were cut their errors down to 14 and hit 274. Natalia Rament, in night one, she had 10 errors, and she hit a negative .132. And then in night two, she had 11 kills and hit a 306. So just to see the difference in between one player, but then also see um, they were just a completely different team. They knew how to battle back after dropping one set. They came back and won it. Um, and so I think it was just a different mindset, a different team that we saw on night two. And, you know, Golic said, I think that good teams find a way to make those changes. And losing doesn't make us bad, but not learning from losing would make us not the best. So I think that was a great quote from him, just saying we're, we can bounce back. And I think that's something that they are really good at doing is coming back after having a bad game. No, I agree. And I like that you mentioned that because if they didn't learn from their mistakes, they would be the same team as last year. And my column explicitly says they're not that team anymore defensively looking at the season stats they're dominating in digs what has Allie Gertiza shown you guys of recent um I think Allie Gertiza shows that, like she's not going to give up and I mean even in game one against Toledo she they were down she led the chip she led with 31 digs and um Golic expects that kind of from her you know to keep the team in the game and she, they really needed her creating that momentum because they fed off of it. And even though they were down and they were losing all those sets, it still shows that Allie Gratiz is not going to give up and not going to let the team get down as bad as they could if she wasn't still putting in all of her effort. And we've mentioned it multiple times every time we talk, this team doesn't quit. Who do you think the motor for this team is right now, Kaya? I don't think it's one specific player, that's what I'm going to say, because every single person has contributed one way or another. Whether that's And every single player that I've talked to – has said that without the bench, without each other, you know, they wouldn't be where they're at. But I would say our, the seniors, they add so much to this team. I think Maddie Whitfield especially, to have that leadership um, on the court is huge. Anna Erickson, another big one, had a big game on night two. I think Golly is always talking about how important having seniors is. Mally Hernandez, fifth-year senior. Maddie Whitfield, fifth-year senior. Anna Erickson as well. Um, those three, I think, are leading the team and helping the team with their success. But I think also you have to look at your freshman. Claire Emeril is a freshman, and she's putting up numbers like that. I think having her as a setter, having her as a leader to lead the court as a freshman, I think is wild. And then also Natalia Romet, you know, I think she's also helping lead the team. And she she's proven that she can bounce back, and I think that's really important. So based off what you guys are saying, I would say that Golic is the motor for this team. <laughs> He's the guy that drives everybody. If he's the one giving them their energy, am I wrong on that? No, I definitely think you're right. And I do agree with what Kaya say that it's almost everybody, but I think it's Gallic creating that energy for them. And 
Golic even said a phrase that they use in their gym all the time is we don't need everything from somebody, but we need something from everybody. And I think they're finally getting in to that cycle. Cause I mean, at first, our first couple games in our first couple podcasts, we were talking about Marley Hernandez, you know, that's all we were talking about and Maddie Whitfield in there too. But now you're seeing more players come out and step up and that's exactly what Golic I think wants and needs. So I do agree with Kaya that it's like not one set person, but I think it's Golic, honestly, that is like the motor for their team and keeping them motivated, which is how it should be your coach too. But I think the team as a whole is what keeps everybody going. Because even all, like he talks about coming off the bench, players coming off the bench, players rooting on from the bench. And so I think it's like Golic, but it's also like combination of Golic and the team and just like getting something from everybody like he says. Bouncing off what Megan said, every single game I feel like we have a different player who stood out. Ellie Medendorp in night one versus Ball State and Clara Amaral in night two. You had, you know, Anna Erickson in night two versus Toledo. So I think every time you have a new person stepping up, you have those consistent players like Mallory Hernandez, Maddie Whitfield, but you have those other people who come up and have a big game. And if one of them's not going to have a big game, the other one's going to have a big game. So I think that's what's driving their success. No, I agree. And now we're going to look ahead a little bit for some prediction time. They play Ohio at home on Thursday at 6 p.m. And then they're back at home on Friday against Kent State, also at 6 p.m. We're going to start with Megan. How do you think this weekend plays out for the team? I think it's going to play out that they're going to get a win against both because they come off, They had a back-and-forth weekend this past weekend, and I don't think they want that again this year, this weekend. I think they want to come out strong and that they're not going to let these teams walk all over them and that they're, that they're not going to let the mistakes happen in Toledo that happened this week. And I'm sure this week in practice, Golic is working on all that. And, like, all those errors they had, they're not going to have that again. They're not going to play, as he put it, uncentral like volleyball. They're going to play central Michigan volleyball that we've been used to seeing, especially being back home. Uh, I think Ohio 2-2 two and two in conference. Kent State's 1-3 and three in conference. I think that central is going to take both of these. Again, like Megan said, going into McGurk. Uh, you have the fans with you, and you have a uh, home court advantage. So I definitely think that will help them. I think they'll come off uh, this split weekend versus Toledo with you know wanting to win after losing, dropping one. So I don't, I don't see them losing these two. You know, I agree. I don't think there's a chance in hell that they lose these games. All right, there's nothing else to add. Thank you guys for coming on. Thanks for having us, Sean. And we're gonna stay with Megan Youngblood for. CMU Club Hockey. We're going to kick things off with the women who started their season this weekend against Michigan State. They're currently 2-0. and After a rough year last season, they won the first game 3-2 in overtime, and then they pulled out a 4-1 win on Sunday in East Lansing. Megan covered the first game at home for the team. What did you see from them? At first, they were very jittery. I mean, the first period was both teams, even uh, the Spartans, were all over the place, and it they were talking about on the broadcast, is it a game of good offense or a game of bad defense right now? And it was both. Like, they were just first-game jitters. Um, no team could capitalize on anything. They took a lot of shots, but it was, like, weaker shots, and there was just not – it was the feeling-out period, as Haney said. But after that, the momentum from both teams picked up and had Martin and Ice um, fans on their seats. And they actually had a pretty good crowd, which I think definitely – gave them the momentum like that crowd was packed if what we could see on the broadcast and that's the biggest thing that Haney talked about too is that they're finally having this um the stands being filled and I think that's what kind of also helped them get that victory but I mean they didn't get it until the third period was when things really got interesting it was 0-0 going into the third and it was a goalie battle definitely for um both teams I mean those goalies were on their heads the whole game and I think coming out in the third period and be able to get that first goal lit a spark underneath the Chippewas. And then when the Spartans took the lead, they had an even bit bigger lit fire, especially because there was a missed penalty for their second goal. Someone got tripped, and it wasn't called, and that's how MSU scored. But uh, the Chippewas got pretty lucky. They ended up getting a penalty shortly after that and um, getting two, so they were left with five on three, which was the perfect opportunity for them to score. So to be able to tie that game was huge for them. And then go into overtime, being able to get that win is just huge. Like there's no other word to describe it because they met MSU four times last season and they didn't win once. And they got beat pretty bad, if I remember. It wasn't It wasn't good last year. It was not good. And you're right. This is, this is huge for this team. I covered them last season. The only reporter at any of their games pulling up 
and they were some rough games, but it was their first year back after COVID, after the team being shut down completely, and Mac Barnett brought everything back. So now you, you got to assume that she feels incredible to see this team 2-0 and after this first weekend of competition, and in the second game, she tallied a goal. So it's even more like, yo, let's go get it. Let's see what happens next. But as you mentioned, it was a goalie battle. Lauren Abraham was not there. Why was she missing from the game? Uh, she was sick all week, had like a fever of like 100, Haney said. And she was supposed to start that game on Saturday, but it was a last-minute decision that Brianna Schroer, she got the start, and it was a last-minute decision, but um, it definitely wasn't a bad decision on Haney's part because, I mean, she did exactly what she needed to do. And I think that's important to him is that, when a goalie can't play like Lauren Abrahamson being sick all week and being out of practice, being out of practices and all, and all that, he had someone that can also step up. So I think it's going to be a battle between them this year, honestly, because they both had amazing games Saturday and Sunday. So I'm wondering what he's going to do with them, splitting them back and forth, or if he's going to have one being their main starter. They split time last year, and he was very hyped up about them because it would, as he said, a lot of these games could have been a lot worse last year without Lauren and Brianna. I'm glad that they got to both play, but I do think he's going to ride with Lauren Abraham, in all honesty. When I talked to him, it seemed like that was where they were going. I was shocked that she wasn't in the net the first game, so i got to assume he goes back to her right away. Now, some other young players have really stepped up on the offensive end because CMU struggled getting points on the board last year. Zoe Saudi ended the weekend with two goals. She's a freshman. Freshman forward Gabrielle Nixon added a goal, and freshman forward Brooke Hubert had two as well on the weekend, including the game winner in game one. How do you think Haney is feeling with all this freshman production on his team? Uh, I got to imagine he's feeling pretty good. I mean, it's really nice to be able to see freshmen step up and get the momentum that your team needs. And I also think it's kind of a nice break from the older players like Mac Barnett and Emily Castile because they're so used to being the backbone for this team, and they still are without a doubt but they have other people to rely on and that's what you need. You need you need to have a team to rely on. It can't just be two people, you know, coming out there every game and I think Haney is definitely proud of the girls that he's been able to sign in the freshmen and that they're finally getting other people involved and getting other people to score those goals and getting more of an offensive opportunity rather than just not having it compared to last year. No, I agree and I I think this has got to be very comforting for Castellani and Barnett to see, hey, these players are very talented. Kylie Del Rey is incredibly talented, and everyone I've talked to has said she's stepping up as a leader from the jump. I think that good things are on the horizon for this team. Last season they talked about we hope we can make the playoffs. I don't think there's any chance in hell they don't make the playoffs this year. I feel like if you come out and smack Michigan State around like that, because the second game was a whole different game. They were up 2-0 in the first period and just kept pouring it on. Do you think they continue that when they face Bowling Green State in two weeks? I do think they continue that because they have a confidence boost, I want to say, for the first time since before COVID because they struggled last year, and even Haney said it, um, to get the victory to get a victory tonight is huge for the girls' confidence, knowing that we can beat an opponent we hadn't beat in four tries last year. We know that confidence that we can hang with anybody this year, and I think – that's the whole point is they took down Michigan State, which is one of the better teams in their division, and coming out and beating them in overtime and then coming out and beating them on Sunday 4-1 to one really shows that they can hang with anybody and that they're here to play this year. So I think they have a good chance of not only making the playoffs but having good success in it. No, I agree. I think this is going to be an incredible year to be in Martin Ice Arena with the women's hockey team. I think that they're going to roll through some people and shock some people who – Thought CMU women's hockey wasn't anything. It, they look really good right now. After, and it's only two games into the season, and my my optimism is through the roof after what I saw last year. But, like, it's hard for me to bet against this team at this point. And I think you're crazy if you do. Definitely. You're definitely crazy if you do because, like, they're, they look so different compared to last year. I only went to one game last year, not as many as you did. But that one game I went to had me feeling like, wow, this is not – something you like to see but after this weekend I was I was on the edge of my seat watching it and seeing them get that win I almost I was I almost cried because they won because I just felt so like oh my god they're 
like I just I felt like I was a part of their win in a way just and it was an amazing feeling and I can't imagine how they felt after that win and you got to see an overtime thriller so it's more like I could see the crying when I saw that they won it I was like holy smokes this is huge and then I saw them beat them the second game and I was like oh my god they're back they are ready to let it rip one of the things that most people wouldn't know if they didn't follow this team is Emily Castellani switched from forward to defenseman this season what did you see from her on the ice? I saw um, very a lot of leadership from her, even though she's switching positions. And she was comfortable, too, in a way. And she was definitely more of an offensive defensive player, which you're going to see that with a forward that goes back. But you need that offensive defenseman because you can't just have a defense who's just going to stay back in line. You need someone that's going to get involved in plays. And I think she's adjusting very well. Um, I don't think it was really hard, as it sounds, for her to do it because she's used to kind of being all over the ice, I think. So I think this – gives her a chance to be in both oper- both ends of the ice. You know, she can still score goals, but she's also back on defense, keeping the goals out of the net. So I think she's adjusting really well to that, and I think Haney has a really good um, lineup with her at um, defense. No, I agree, and I should have said this off the rip when I told you it, but she played defenseman previously in her career, so it's not a crazy change for her. But it's still it's another position change at a higher level where you haven't played it yet. And the biggest thing for me with her playing defense is her collarbone injuries have been a problem in the past. Now women don't check, so it's different, but I wondered how she would deal with that. But as you said, I watched the second game, and it felt like she was all over the place. She's yeah. she's shooting from the point. She was shooting from the blue line. She was backpedaling to stop players from getting into the – getting breakaways. That's She seemed like she really liked being on defense, and you got to assume being next to Mac Barnett – roommate and best friend only help that transition be smoother I think it's a I don't want to say a better fit because I mean she's good at forward too but I think being on defense gets her more involved in both and I think it's sparking a little bit of confidence in her too and maybe a little more comfortableness and her collarbone is a big issue and she went down at one point in game one she fell kind of hard and my heart stopped for her because I was like not another collarbone please but she got back up and like I think she made a play after that too. So I was like, I think she's comfortable and I don't think she has that mind. She has that mindset that she's good anywhere. And I think that's is what is important for not only her, but for the team. I don't think that it's even something on her mind anymore. I think she's out there playing free willing. Cause you see people hesitant when they get hurt. Yeah, and even though there's no hitting in hockey, there's still those accidental bumps and no, hits and other. it's, yeah. And so it's, she's still going to get that. I don't – that hesitation maybe a little bit, but, I mean, based on what I saw Saturday from her taking that spill and then she got up and managed to get a puck out of the zone, it, it didn't affect her. So, and, I mean, that's the mindset of a lot of athletes. Like, don't let it affect you, but after four collarbone breaks or whatever, um, she seems pretty comfortable in that. She knows her body very well, too. She has to at this point. So, I am hoping the best for her this season. And I think having her back there with, next to Barnett with the, the freshman firepower that they've got on offense, I – I think that's a death lineup right now. Like these these young kids are really hungry right now, and that's I think something they needed because Barnett and Castillo have been trying to hold it together. You ain't no holding it together anymore. You you done rose up a, a dominant program. It feels like so. Is there anything? Any last thoughts before we switch to the men's hockey? I think that's all I have. Just and kind of going off what you said, Mac Barnett and Emily being on defense together with that freshman forward powerhouse. That's the perfect lineup. I mean, you have your two veterans in the back and then you have your freshman in the front. And I think going forward, that's going to be the focus of their game plan, having those veterans in the back, keeping you there. And then the freshman just coming out and scoring those goals when you need them to. No, I agree. And now we switch to men's D three hockey, which is also one of Megan's favorite beats to cover. And they're rolling right now. They won their first game against fair state four one. And then this weekend they swept Lake superior state 13 to two and then five to zero. What are your thoughts on how this weekend played out for the team? This was an amazing weekend for them. I mean, coming out in their home opener to win 13-2, to it's nothing new to them. They did that last year against Davenport, 10-2. to So they're very used to coming out and um, surprising teams. But they just dominated. And, like, it was Lake Superior State was good. It's not like they were just, like, dumping goals on them. But it was just CMU had the firepower and they had the momentum the whole time and – just it carried over into the second game it wasn't as good of a win for them according to Catiline he wasn't as pleased with the win as he was on Friday but this team is going to be good no I agree and I reading your quotes I realized this is a team that scores a lot of goals when Catiline said 
I was hoping we'd get more. And their shots were, they were dominating in the shot category. It was an insane difference to me. Like, yo, you probably should have had a couple more goals. You're probably not wrong, Catalan. Yeah, he was on Saturday's win. Um, He said it was a win, but it wasn't a good one. After a game like that, a game like last night, you expect the same thing. And we put up 59 shots, and their goalie played outstanding, stopping the 54 shots. But they peppered him, but definitely should have had a few more goals. And that's what he was happy that W, but um, he wasn't as pleased with the score. I think he was hoping to run it up a little bit more, which you know you're good when you try to say, when you want to say that. So yeah, no, if you're thinking about running it up, you're a team that is should be reckoned with in the in this conference. They've got some young talent on this team. Isaac, what is his last name? Isaac Gibbs had a crazy night. Tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, he's on fire I mean he he scored in every game so far and that's what Cadline expects from him every game he expects him to score the, at least one goal maybe two and it's really nice to see that it's a young forward like that stepping up and getting those goals when they need him to but he's just phenomenal player and I mean he keeps the team alive and he gives them that momentum and makes it a little bit of a competition within the locker room Cadline was telling me that, you know, especially him and Nathan Bottles together, they're a big back-and-forth battle. Um, you know, one scores, this one scores, the other one scores, this one scores. And having both of them, but Isaac Gibbs, really uh, lights the team up and gets them gets them going every weekend. And he recorded his first collegiate hat trick the first game of the weekend. And it when I was reading through your story, it's like the amount of people who scored first goals of the year or first goals as a Chippewa was – another level to me do you think this continues as they roll through the season where they're just blowing teams out or who's going to challenge them really I do think that they I don't think it's gonna be as big of a blowout as this weekend I think it's going to calm down a little bit because teams are going to start getting in their groove and their momentum Lake Superior State wasn't really that big of a challenge I mean they were 0-17 last year so Central knew they were coming in and have a big win um so I don't think – I think they're going to dominate still, but it's not going to be as much as they did with uh, Lake Superior State. Because Ferris was a hard battle. I mean, they won it, but their biggest test this season I think will be – I think will be definitely be Michigan and Michigan-Flint because those are the big hockey schools that you always see. And they battled with them last year, lots of ties and overtime games. So I think that's going to be their biggest test. But I think it's going to come out in their favor more so this year because – they have a lot more freshmen added. They have a lot more transfer. They have a couple of transfers that are stepping up and taking leadership. And they have a new – they have kind of like a new face to the team. They have a three-way battle for goalies. And, I mean, losing their number one goaltender, Thomas Rove, that's going to be hard to replace him. But they have so many different options that I think it's going to come in their favor more so this year. They're not going to have – they had five ties last year after many overtime battles. And I don't think they're going to get to that point this year because – they're hungrier this year, even though they had a great season last year. This season, they're hungrier to not get those ties and have a better record going into the playoffs. And as I look at their schedule, there are some powerhouses on here. They do play Michigan, which seems crazy to me. Davenport, I don't know what they're about with hockey, but Grand Valley's a team from back where I'm from. You hope they beat them. And Ferris State, they're a dominant team in the western part of Michigan. like, yeah. And we gave them the business. So, like, I don't see – I don't see this being a bad year for them. When do you think the winning streak stops? Who's the first team to beat CMU? Mm, I think it's going to be Florida Gulf Coast. They lost to them last year, if I'm correct, when they played them in October. I think that's when they're going to get a little shaken up because I think this weekend they're going to come out hard because they won, and then I think it's going to wear off a little bit in Gulf Coast. I think it might be in Florida again this year. No, it's home. It is home this year. Last year they lost on the road to them. But I think that might be when things kind of settle down and teams are just going to start figuring them out. I think Lake Superior State hadn't figured out CMU in the first game. They definitely did in the second game. I mean, they CMU only put up five goals instead of 13. Yeah. So I think teams are going to kind of start figuring them out. And if not Flor- uh, Florida Gulf Coast, it's going to be Ferris State because Ferris State has already seen them once. They know what they're about. So if it's not Florida, it's going to be Ferris State for sure. No, I agree. I, I think that – the loss is coming, but this is something that I just thought about. I don't think anybody's really figured them out yet as much as goalies had to stand on their head and play outside of their mind. Because when you face 59 shots, they're at some point they're going to start to go in more than they don't. You know what I mean? So, like, 
if they continue to do that throughout the season and they just keep peppering goalies, it's going to be hard to beat them. And maybe maybe you can figure it out. Maybe you can adjust. I'm not a hockey person like that. But it just seems like if you keep pouring it on them and keep shooting and shooting, you don't ever lose. And I <laughs> yeah. I don't know hockey enough to be like, yo, it's going to be this team. So I'm going to agree with you. Yeah, you're not wrong with that. Putting I mean, f- putting up 59 shots in that is insane. And um And that was after the sec that was the second game. So yeah. Like, I can't even Yeah, no. But I yeah, definitely agree that it's like a goal like goalies getting better for whatever team they're playing and like being on their heads. But um I don't know where I was going with that. Yeah, f- facing fifty nine shots, that's absolutely insane. I mean, um Lake Superior State had twelve shots in the second game. Yeah, so uh, shooting fifty nine to twelve, that's Something definitely needs – there needs to be a little more balance there. The CMU defense needs to be a little worse so that yeah. the goalie doesn't get bored in the game. Like Yeah, but it's definitely going to be – I think a good. it's going to be a good season for sure, but I think they're going to find a loss maybe even later in the season because I still think they're at the point where they're dominating and teams haven't figured them out. But I think some teams will, and I think Ferris, honestly, I'm going to go back and say Ferris, is going to be the one to figure them out because they've already played them once. They know – that they need to cover Isaac Gibbs. They need to cover Nathan Bottles. They know the players they need to cover. And they know that with Charlie Hayes and Austin Ritter on defense, that's a powerhouse you're not going to get behind most likely. So they need to figure out ways around the two of them and the and Isaac Gibbs and Nathan Bottles keeping them covered. Because even Catiline said, I'm glad Gibbs is on my team and I don't have to worry about covering them. That's what teams need to focus on is covering Isaac Gibbs. But on top of that, with Isaac Gibbs being covered, you're going to see players come out of that. Yeah, because you're gonna have to you're gonna have to double team him at least to try to stop that man. He seems like a young Gretzky. Him. Like he's gonna run up. He's gonna have a a pyramid of pucks somewhere on campus here <laughs> when he's done. Like he's insane. But you're gonna see other players step up. I mean, it's not just Isaac Gibbs. Even you're seeing freshmen step up. Andrew Sazarki. You saw him. He even he moved back to defense for the first time since he was 12. So he, but he still managed to get a goal. Uh, the first game and um, to be able to see that from a freshman and from a defenseman to getting involved in those plays is important. You're going to see players like that step up. No doubt. I agree. So back to predictions. How do you think they play Cleary this weekend twice? They have a quicker turnaround than women's hockey. Who's two weeks. They play on the seventh at 6 PM. And then on the eighth at seven thirty. how do these games play out? Megan. Cleary has is own for the season. Uh, I lost to Calvin in Toledo twice and, it was big uh, seven nothing game seven two four to one five to four so they look like they found a little bit of their footing in Toledo but uh, I think CMU is going to come out on top with that I mean you come in zero and four to a team that's three and zero especially a team that is coming off a huge weekend with uh, Lake Superior State I think they're taking both games and I think they are going to run up the score again. No, I agree. I pr- I'm predicting they sweep this weekend against Cleary as well, especially after you told me they're zero and four. If we lose to this team. I'm going to be pretty upset. (laughs) But thank you for your time, Megan. And now we welcome on CM Life field hockey beat reporter, James Bessenhofer. How's it going, James? It's going great. Thanks for having me, Sean. No problem. Well, it's still not going great for the field hockey team at this point. The losing streak has grown to 10 games. They're 0-3 in the MAC. There were signs of brightness, though, for this team this weekend. They lost 4-3 to Ball State. What did you see in that game? I actually saw us, you know, we talked about them not having great starts to the games. Actually, they actually flipped that around this weekend. Uh, in both games, they had great starts. They kind of just couldn't really finish. You know, we were up 3 to nothing in the Ball State game. The late third quarter, they score one, then they score two in the fourth quarter. Then double OT, they find the back of the cage, and we lose 3-4. to four. Uh, The team looked great, though, that game really just, like, kind of just lost it at the end of the game do you feel like a loss like that especially the losing streak grew to nine games after being up three zero do you think that's something that's breaking this team spirit right now like it's hard to get out of it and then you get that close to breaking the losing streak what do you think is their mentality is right now yeah most definitely I hate to say it that it does but yeah uh, you're on an eight game losing streak you come into that game you jump up to a three nothing lead you feel like everything's going your way we could turn things around and you blink and game's over we lost four three and uh, especially you don't want that type of game when you're on an eight game losing streak 
doesn't seem too bright in the locker room. Not everything's going well. And to have that game kind of just, yeah, loss of the spirits. Oh, definitely. And it, it seems like they're getting more and, com- more and more competitive as the season wears on. But then when they played St. Francis, it was a quick start and they lost 6-2. What did they look like in that game compared to Ball State? Really just uh, no offense. Uh, I mean, again, first period, quick start. We had seven shots on goal. We had a goal. We, were, we came out of the first period up one nothing. If you combine this second period to the fourth period, we three total shots on goal in those three periods. I mean, that's just the offense not getting anything done. Yeah, it uh, fell apart there. After seven shots, that's one of the best quarters they've had. It feels one like of the best season, starts so. they have all year. That is like the best start we've had all year. And uh, and then just to not just lose everything that we had in the first period. I don't know if. St. Francis came out in the second period and made defensive changes that startled CMU. Uh, but what – I mean, you look at the score 6-2. Maha Halaz, uh, both goalies this weekend had great games. You might not – you might look at the score sheet and say, well, what are you telling me, Jim? They <laughs> lost both games. If you look at how many shots they came up against and how many saves they made, I mean, the games could easily have been way worse than what you're seeing on the score. Uh, I think Maha, I mean, I think Katie Maxim, sorry to bring it back to the Ball State game, but Katie Maxim had 12 saves in that game. You look at Maha Halaz in the St. Francis game that we were talking about, 16 saves. Holy sa- smokes. Yeah. And You're right, it would have been way worse had she not been in that. Yeah, and uh, I mean, made seven saves in the fourth quarter, four saves in the second quarter. And uh, in the second quarter, she made some great saves that were crucial to CMU actually staying in the game. I know she let up four goals in that period, but it could have easily been eight, six, five. Yeah, it could have gotten out of hand quickly. And outside of the goalies, who stood out to you this weekend? Is it, once again, the same three people that we're going to keep talking about? Really? the Yes, two of those three people, Alice O'Hagan and Amelia Lane. Uh, Amelia Lane. She had assists in both of the games over this weekend. Uh, she now has five assists. She, she leads the team, Alice O'Hagan. She also had a goal in each of the games. She has now five goals on the season. She's tied with Kate Biglin uh, for the most goals on the team. And really, it just has been the same story. That, like we've said, those three are just the offensive weapons. Uh, it was nice during the St. Francis game. Emily Maloney scored her first goal of the season. So that that was nice to see new new people to bring offensive power for the Chippewas. Uh, that's always great to see. But, again, it's just the same three that always bring it. Uh, really, it's really all our offense. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just the same stories over and over. Hopefully we could break out of it. Uh, got a tough game against Ohio State this week, this next weekend, and then we have probably our toughest MAC opponent in Kent State, too, so it's going to be a tough weekend. Really, just, we need, we need shots. We need shots on goal. I'm, uh, I mean, like, when I look at all these games, I mean, we are just getting, I know they're just shots, and most of them aren't on goal, but they're just opportunities created. I mean, and if you look at the sh- shot selection and the time of possession, I mean, it's just so one-sided. It's it's like no wonder why we're getting blown out all the time. You can't take, you can't combine three shots in three periods and expect to win a game. Even if you had a great start in the first period, that's just not how it's going to work, especially against tough competition where we're playing that, who we're playing this weekend in Ohio State and Kent State, and also taking advantage of home games, home field games. I mean, those this weekend was a chance for two two teams that we played at home that were beatable. They were beatable teams. I mean, they're middle-of-the-line teams, and uh, we couldn't do it. And now we got four straight games on the road. It's going to be rough. tough opponents. I mean, Ohio already beat us in the year. Uh, Kent State's really good in the MAC. Ohio State just beat Michigan State, who we lost to in preseason really badly. 
It ain't going to get good. It's not. I don't so, know where it's going to get any better. So what do you put the likelihood of this team making the MAC tournament at? It's got to be near the bottom. Yeah, not a good percentage this year. Hopefully, maybe we could steal one against Ohio. I mean, we lost to them early in the year, but we played them close. Hopefully, maybe we could surprise Michigan State since we played them already. We know how they play and everything. And then we do get the final two games of the season. We do get two MAC opponents in Miami of Ohio and Longwood at home. So hopefully we get to take advantage of those two home games that that weekend and uh, see if we can advance to the MAC tournament. But it's it's gonna be tough, and they're gonna have to get they're gonna have to get some wins some somewhere down the seas. No, I agree. It's gonna be a rough stretch to end this year. Hopefully they can pick up one or two wins just to keep the confidence because a year like this is going to be hard to keep people around. You never know. It's Johnstone's first season, so maybe the players will be willing to continue to let her grow, but 1-10, and 0-3 in the MAC, we need one MAC win. Just give us one at this point. You also have to be questioning if like it's becoming a concern to Coach Johnson if it's in her head about this losing streak and – Really, I'd like to know like how concerned she is with it, and how much like of this losing streak is like in her own head, and how like how it is in the locker room with it too. Yeah, I want to see what the mentality of the team is. And you asked about the ten game losing streak. Johnstone did not answer, so we tried to find out where they were at with this, but only time will tell. And that's been another episode of Maroon and Bull. Thank you for listening.